0: From Brandeis University in semi-quarantine, welcome to Recall This Book, a podcast that looks backwards to see into the future. Our idea is to assemble scholars and writers from different disciplines to make sense of contemporary issues, problems, and events by looking at books that shaped the world we inherited. Today, my co-host is John Plotz. Hi, John. Hello. And Hayal Akarsu. Hi, Hayal. Hello. Hayal is a junior research fellow at the Crown Center for Middle East Studies. And she holds a PhD in anthropology from the University of Arizona. Her dissertation to be turned into a book is called Reforming the Police, Violence, Security and the Social in Turkey. And it analyzes the entanglement of European Union inspired police reforms with authoritarian governance in Turkey. She has some recent publications and one of them which just emerged is called Citizen Forces, The Politics of Community Policing in Turkey with American Ethnologist in 2020. Our episode today continues our mini-series on global policing by which we don't mean either Interpol or the status of a hegemonic power such as the U.S. that claims to act as the police force for the world. We mean the topic of policing and police power in global context. In keeping with our podcast strategy of juxtaposing examples from different times and places, we'll be discussing Hayal's work and also bringing in some examples from Brazil. So maybe to start us off, Hayal, can you tell us a bit about your uh, work and about the field work that, that you did for it?
1: Sure. So I work on the implementation of police reforms in Turkey and uh, I I, I can start actually by uh, talking about how I started this project. I uh, grew up in Turkey in 1990s where uh, at the backdrop of police violence and uh, incredible police brutality against the uh, political opposition and all kinds of marginalized identities. And in 2000s, I was struck by seeing all the smiling, caring images of police posters reflecting the police reforms that Turkey uh, is undergoing. So I started the question, okay, what what is that? Why do police in Turkey invest in building such a caring image and reform? And it was a period of uh, EU harmonization projects where police has invested a lot on different kinds of reform projects. uh, but in 2013, when I have started uh, in my preliminary research, Casa Park protests happened. And uh, the protest was mainly a sit-in against the de- demolition of City Park, but then turned into a large, massive-scale anti-government protest because of the police brutality inflicted on protesters. And strikingly, when these protests were happening, police was actually implementing a project the EU funded project on uh, prevent it, on prevention of disproportionate use of violence. So I asked, okay, how can I make sense of this paradox? On the one hand, police being a project to prevent disproportionate use of force, but still we experience uh, ex- excessive violence on, uh, uh, excessive violence of police on protesters. So I decided to work on what police reform do to the police and what police do with police reform if uh, they are not preventing violence. So I did an field work for 18 months in the police academy, in the police stations. I looked at the, uh, for instance, one cohort of police uh, students. I took classes with them, sat in on classes with them. I also patrolled uh, the streets with the police, attended there, all kinds of community policing activities. And I also observed these international networks of police reform. So uh, because police reform, especially nowadays, is more than a global phenomenon, as we think, because they have all this kind of circulating materials uh, of reform, and they have been implemented in different uh, parts of the world.
0: Okay, so you touched on a lot of uh, themes that we've been talking about for the last week, collectively, have been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, The relationship between the police and the rest of the government, police as a a state-sanctioned form of violence, um, attempts at reform and the um, question of whether those are effective and what they're effective for. How do you see your work as connecting to, say, the recent, you know, social movement, particular iteration of Black Lives Matter and the the criticisms of state police violence.
1: Uh, actually, like one thing uh, that relates to what broader uh, historical moments uh, that my research touches on often is the question of reform, because we uh, recently we hear a lot that reforms will not work, and in this- in my work, I show that reforms do work, but not in the way that we uh, aim them to be working. For instance, I can give one example about all of these trainings on the use of force, right? For instance, in the 1990s, police in Turkey tend to understand the question of violence as something they need to hide, right? Like they are doing torture, but it's kind of something that you do in the uh, mm. backstage. You, something that you need to cover You're up. You're not supposed to talk thing. about it, but it does. Yes, right. It. right. It, it, it was a kind of secret. But with these reforms of standardization use of force, I realized that most, most of my interlocutors came to understand their work more like as being a force expert. So all of these for instance, standardizations about use of force continuum that uh, gives you this kind of uh, escalation of force, which needs to be proportional to the resistance you face, then you see most of the police officers claiming that, okay, what I did was not a torture or violence, I just used my legally entitled right to use of force, and it was proportional to the resistance I faced. Mm -hmm. So this was, for instance, one of the things that we, here a lot in the United States too. Recently, actually, I was looking at the statistics about assault rates against U.S. Uh, like borders and Customs Agency. When you see that, like they have this uh, incredible higher rates of assault rates against officers, because this is this is uh, in a way their way of showing that okay, we didn't do anything right. wrong but we were in right. threat, right? right? I felt the threat, so I- Like a self-defense. Uh, Defense. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for the Black Lives Matter, in Turkey, it uh, racialized policing is, exists to a certain extent, but what we see in Turkey is mostly uh, the kind of uh, disproportionate distribution of police violence, uh, especially against the marginalized communities, for instance, Kurdish uh, people, or maybe uh, religious minority, or other kinds of like gender and sexual minorities. And I remember one uh, slogan that was chanted during the Gaza protest, which was uh, like kind of protest hunting to police and saying that this self which is a Turkish type of uh, pepegal, pe- pe- uh, police sells Smith and live in dignity. They mm. were asking police to kind of to question what uh, they are for, uh, which part of population are they supposed to protect? These kind of um, moments actually uh, uh, invite larger public to question the role of police in, in a society. Mm-hmm.
2: Actually, so I have a question that relates to that, yeah. uh, Hayal. I, I really, I love your recent articles. They're so fascinating mm-hmm. about the role that the language of reform plays in implementation. And for example, you have the case of sort of community policing, where you talk about the way that community policing ends up being an enabling structure for the sort of violence against minority communities that you, you just referred to. So I guess the question I have—it's a really big one. It's—it's it's how you think about um, the relationship between what the police do and are—are w- are the police carrying out a, a governmental, like a governmental agenda that is supported, or so that what you see with the police is they are basically the instrument of carrying out what is a broadly supported policy anyway, versus understanding the police as like a machinery with a logic of their own. Because I sometimes feel in the United States that we people are, are either confused or conflicted about whether they see the police, the problems with the police being the police doing what society as a whole wants them to do or the police doing this thing, which is just, like, inherent to the logic of policing, which is not really carrying out a governmental agenda. That's
0: actually, just to jump in, that's a really good point because I think one of the, one of the conversations that's come out really clearly and is not resolved is, you know, are the police not doing what they're supposed to do and that's the problem, or is the problem that the police are doing what they're supposed to do? And that, that also runs through your work, but that's your question, right, John?
1: Yes. I think it's an excellent question. Because, and my short answer is actually police doing uh, both, both kind of conveying all these larger governmental ideas about uh, reform mm-hmm. or how the society should be divided or structured but also police has its own project. And in addition to that, I can add that police is also doing in a way uh, what public ask for them to do. This is also something that we need to take into account and we usually uh, think that police is just a sole agent, but when we think about all kinds of uh, like demands of public and popular support for the police, we also see how uh, these different scales of roles of policing are coming into play.
0: So, so you, um, when we were discussing this conversation, we decided to bring in a book that, that I want to shift to in a second, which is called City of Walls by Teresa Caldera. Mm-hmm. It's about Sao Paulo in Brazil. Um, and um, But I think this is an interesting segue because one of the things that Caldera talks about is um, sort of talk of crime. So she kind of distinguishes between actual crimes that that may or may not be recorded, but also a kind of, you know, language or topic of conversation of, you know, crime is getting worse, um, and a sort of um generation of noise around that that was connected to a need for or perceived need for more police or more private security. Did you see that? in your case that people were sort of, maybe not talking about crimes as individual events, but talk of criminality, say?
1: Absolutely, talk of crime is actually part of all of this community uh, policing activities or uh, general reception of the public because, so there are some, Think about some social problems, about the like economic crisis, about the uh, urban transformation, mm-hmm. and when do we start to think them through the lens of crime? So how, when do we start to think uh, all of these different social political problems as a problem of crime? Mm-hmm. So this is uh, one thing that I observed, and also what I like most about Caldera's book uh, that there are several things, but about the talk of crime she says how the talk of crime is contagious, right? How it uh, spreads and how it uh, like proliferates and how through the talk of crime and through the fear of crime, new techniques of exclusions uh, are developed. So, and police in, in a way contributes to this increase in violence. Uh, both they are part of the problem in some ways in Caldera's case, and in my case too mm-hmm. but also uh she also talks about how uh through this talk of crime they became more focused on this public offenses uh they thought mm-hmm. and other things uh and i haven't talked much about in my uh like uh article but uh what i liked uh about Caldera's research again the link she makes uh, about the private security and the public security, right? Right. Because security has become a service, both and sold in South and the market. And when the upper class in, for example, Sao Paulo, when they invested in private security firms, building walls and creating more segregated cities, then they started to think police for the less favored ones and private. Security for the rich, which I also observed uh, in my research.
0: Yeah, this is kind of an unspoken part of this whole discussion um, about you know private policing, which it if you know which may sort of depending on the situation of inequality and polarization in the country may rush to fill a gap that is left by other kinds of policing. Um, the University
2: of Chicago has the second largest police force in the state of Illinois.
1: Right. That's so interesting, actually. Like, as someone, like, I did my BA in Turkey, then I moved to United States in 2007 to start my MA in New York, and after having spent, like, more than a decade in the United States, still it strikes me that, like, universities in the united states they have a police right so like seeing police on campus in turkey usually it means there's a coup or something like that right. so why and i was even thinking okay so uh, i'm blacked down from my office why i need, why i need to call the police to get my door unlocked right yeah. all kind of different services that police uh, do in the universities is actually like very interesting thing and also and also it reminds us the thing like when we talk about the police actually we are talking about a huge like industry and huge yeah. uh huge like institution like a state which perform so many different roles right yeah
2: i think that's an excellent point and just a couple of things about the bracket creep there one is that brandeis police were only recently armed it wasn't even after 2001 it was as Mm -hmm. a result of some other incident i can't it was the marathon bombing or something but there doesn't really seem to be any rational reason that they suddenly got armed but there they did And that defines them in one way. And then the other way is that question of, right, I mean, getting locked out of your building is such a great example, or if if somebody has a psychological crisis, where do they go? And and, uh, lately I've seen signs appear, Elizabeth, you might know more about this than I do, but like in DC, there are tons of signs, where my parents live and my brother, there are tons of signs saying things that you can do rather than call the police. And it's basically just helping people to reimagine the division of governmentality you know <laughs> like and and I do think that's an enormously important question like in Massachusetts there's a few sorts of criminal justice work that are performed by the department like the pre-release centers in Massachusetts are operated by the Employment Bureau or the Labor Bureau rather than the Department of Corrections so like these little internal divisions
0: yeah yeah. so
2: invisible to most of us outside the system but probably very crucial
1: right right i mean just we go go ahead or we try to not to see it right because uh one thing i can give credit to police like turkish police they uh were constantly complaining uh, that they were asked to do too much mm. and uh, I also observed in the pre- uh, in the field kind of social policing projects that police do of uh, visiting people's homes asking for them uh, to like what kind of needs they uh, yeah. have psychological or, or kind of do they need a job so and police were doing okay like they treat us as social workers with guns. But we have other things to do, so why are we doing this kind of other things?
2: Totally, but I feel like that also relates to that question of like whether they're doing what they ought to be doing or they're doing something that is distinct from what they're asked to do because that social working function is, as I understand it, like part of the vision in the US of of what community policing is, right? Like if the Mm -hmm. officer is present at the school talking to kids on the playground, or if the officer is like at the local convenience store, you know, hearing from them about the problem of the broken streetlight, then the idea is that they'll be less likely to use deadly force in the neighborhood.
0: Right. Right. But I mean that's part yes. of the ar- argument around defunding the police, right? Is is mm-hmm. it's not so much about defunding as kind of dismantling this bundle of activity, right? right? But, In order to clarify and to redirect investment into these other things that wouldn't necessarily be handled by the person who also has a gun.
2: Right. But
1: And most of the time when the police handles that kind of situations, they're not uh, they're not doing anything. Uh, they are not doing much, right? What they are doing is, for for instance, like if people uh, complain about homeless uh, people, they're just taking them from one location to another. So it is just like uh, taking uh, the problem out of the sight of the citizens who feel uncomfortable of that problem.
2: I, I agree with that you guys, but but can we just pause on that? I mean, I do think there's an innate sure. tension here. Because the to the extent that one expects part of policing to be more like social worker functions, one creates a vocation that has that kindler gentler side to it. And to the extent that one takes those roles away from the police, one does, you know, Starsky and Hutchify. <laughs> you know what I mean? What? Yeah.
0: I hear what you're saying. I think it's sort of. Uh, it's a tension that's produced by the evacuation of support and funding for other kinds of services, right? I mean, if there was great provision of health services and employment services and other kinds of things in a neighborhood, yeah, the police might still be rescuing kittens off of the roof and. Yeah hanging around. No, no, that's fire.
2: That's firefighters.
0: Firefighters, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kids <laughs> are
2: firefighters.
0: Okay. Uh, See, it's all it's all getting mushed up. Yeah, but, no, but I, I,
2: Elizabeth, I, I hundred percent hear what you're saying. But I guess I'm just saying, like, I do think some of this stuff is baked into the problem of the division division of labor, like professional. I feel like there's a Weber analysis here about professional specialization. You know,
0: like. Right. I just think that would be less of a problem if there was actually any funding for any of those other things, yeah. relative to the amount of funding for the police. Actually, I think this is a good time to shift to our recallable books. So, Hal, do you have something to bring to the table?
1: Sure. So, there are many great ethnographies right now of emerging on um, police in different parts of the world. So, I think it's really important. Read about policing and police in different parts of the world. But for today, I want to suggest uh, a TV show. Probably you all know The Wire uh, as a kind of recallable uh, show. Because what I like most about The Wire uh, is it sees uh, it shows us that this complex space of policing. And for instance, we see how wiretaps and technology shifts, uh, they shift the temporal rhythms and spatial labor of police work. Mm. So you see on the one hand this violent presence, uh, presence of police on the streets of Baltimore, but you also see how policing the technology increasingly has become the sedentary management of data, evidence, and code, all this kind of uh, uh, like backwork of the policing. So instead of all these heroic shows on police, I think The Wire has a kind of ethnographic quality in telling the kind of entangled relations that police are into and the way how uh, like these uh, neighborhoods are policed heavily, uh, like uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll bring, the text that I wanted to bring in is
0: actually Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, and particularly the section at the end of the book, which documents some of the psychiatric cases that he and his colleagues encountered and and worked with. And, And Fanon is really using these to talk about the psychological damage and deformation that colonialism causes. And On everybody, and but in the in the examples that he gives about the police in particular, it's also the damage that is done to the colonizers. And in particular, he has a really harrowing case about a a police. I think he's a captain actually, of a police officer who is engaged in, you know, pretty constant torture to the point of death of potential informants, and who has developed a series of severe psychiatric symptoms and who's really come to seek medical advice in order to complete, uh, to be able to get back to work. Um, So so An writes, um, his superiors refused to give him sick leave. And since moreover, the patient, that's the police officer, did not wish to have a psychiatrist certificate, we tried to give him treatment, quote, while working full time. The weaknesses, that is torturing people. Uh, The weaknesses of such a procedure may easily be imagined. He tried, as he could not see his way to stopping torturing people, that made nonsense to him for in that case, he would have to resign. He asked me without beating about the bush to help him go on torturing Algerian patriots without any prickings of conscience, without any behavior problems, and with complete equanimity. So the relationship between the police and authoritarian state power, between the police and colonialism, the racialization of police work, and also, I guess, at a more general level, the relic- way in which police and policing become a way to think about all of these other questions, these bigger questions of power and violence, race and the state.
1: It's a great point.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess we we have come to the moment when we'll have to um, thank you and. Uh, say goodbye. So thank you so much, Hael, for joining us. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Um, Yeah,
2: thank you, Hael. That was great.
0: Thank you. Recall this book is the brainchild of John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry. It is affiliated with public books and most of the time has been recorded and edited in the Media Lab of the Brandeis Library uh, and sometimes in our homes uh, by Plotz Ferry and a cadre of colleagues in the Boston area and beyond. Our music comes from a song by Eric Chaslow and Barbara Cassidy, Fly Away. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden and production assistance, including website design and social media is done by Kaliska Ross. Mark Delello oversees and advises on technological matters. We miss him sorely. We appreciate the support of university librarian, Matthew Sheehy and Dean Dorothy Hodgson and of the Mandel Center for the Humanities at Brandeis. We always want to hear from you with your comments, criticisms, or suggestions for future episodes. You can email us directly at ferry or at plots at BrandeisEDU, or you can contact us via social media and our website. Finally, if you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to write a review or to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might be interested in checking out past episodes, including topics like Vectors of Warfare with Vincent Brown, or our first pro- um, first episode on policing and white power with Dan Prider and David Cunningham. Or money as a social and political project with Christine Desan. We also have our Spring 2020 series called Books in Bar- Dark <laughs> Books in Dark Times, where we converse with various partners about what books bring them comfort and joy in these cataclysmic moments. Elizabeth,
2: can I also put in a plug? We we hope to continue the Global Policing series uh, most immediately with a discussion about Indigenous Australian deaths in custody. Um, So look for that in the future.
0: Great, thanks. Thank you and goodbye until next time.